I can't do anything right. I am such a failure. I'm a terrible mother or father. I'm a terrible son or daughter. Bad things always happen to me. And everyone would be better off without me. Our minds are powerful tools that are great assets, but are oftentimes our greatest enemies. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever thought of things like that? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts in your mind, polluting your thoughts, frustrating your advances in life, these negative thoughts, maybe unbidden? You, you don't welcome them, you don't want them, but they are there. And maybe you've caught yourself before in this downward spiral where you have negative thoughts and then you have negative thoughts about your negative thoughts. You're frustrated or angry towards those negative thoughts, which cause you to have more negative thoughts. And then you're angry in the negative thoughts and then you find yourself in a helpless downward spiral. Today we're continuing our series. It's called The Mind of Christ. It's a series about destroying the negative patterns of thinking that are holding us back from all that God has for us. Pastor Ryan just mentioned, but Life Church exists to lead people to experience life change in Jesus. Summarized into two words, Life Church is all about life change. That's these stories that we're sharing this year. It's all about life change. Life change is a wonderful thing. We all want life change, but life change will not stick without a mind shift. Without, without transformation of your mind, transformation of your life is not going to be permanent. Our souls can change, but if our minds do not change, then we will not do the things needed to make life change stick. I'll say it in one other way. Your life doesn't change until your mind changes. Unfortunately, some of us have constructed internal thought processes and patterns in our own minds that paralyze us from being all that God has created us to be and doing all that God has created us to do. And today, I want us to actually go to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges. You can go ahead and turn there, Judges chapter 7. And I want us to look at three internal thought processes that are, 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 that, that come up in this story of Gideon as Gideon is preparing for war. He's the leader. I'll give you a little bit of context as you turn there. Gideon was Israel's newest judge at the time, and we find him preparing to lead the Israelites into battle against the Midianites who had a far superior military. And Gideon went through all of the people to assemble a fighting force of 32,000 people. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that he felt good about that, 32,000 people to go into battle. I still imagine that he was um, a, a little skeptical because the Midianite had far superior forces, at least numerically speaking. So 32,000, not enough, but it's something substantial. But in that moment, God steps in to challenge Gideon's mindset. We're going to look at three internal thought processes and discover today how we can overcome these same mind-killing characteristics by the power of Christ. If you're taking notes, you can write down this first one and then we'll get to our text. The first, I'll call them mind-killers for the sake of the sermon, the sermon title, Mind-Killers. The first mind-killer that Gideon and his army were dealing with that we deal with today is pride. Pride limits our thinking. Pride 
limits our thinking. And it did for Gideon as well. Let's start in verse 2. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. I would imagine that the worst advice to hear when you are preparing for war is that you have too many soldiers, right? Like I'm no military strategist, I don't know for sure, but I would think that in war, that's certainly one of the situations and scenarios where the more the merrier. Like we want as many people as possible. That's not what God thought was best here. He said, the people that are with you, Gideon, are too many. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God is basically saying, right now, the people have this destructive internal narrative. They think their victory will be won by their power and by their strength and by their numbers. And God said, I'm going to do something about that. It's as if God knows something that we don't. That pride has a way of limiting our thinking. When we take credit for all the good things that happen in our lives and we systematically blame all of the bad things in our lives on other people or on external forces, sometimes we can even blame it on God himself, we are blinded to what God is actually doing in our lives and in the world around us. All we can see is us. We're the heroes of the story. We are, we are the ones that conquered, that we, we defeated, you know, our enemies, which might be your co-workers or your neighbors or your family members, your spouse, your kids, right? You're the conqueror, not your three-year-olds. Scripture has plenty to say about pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Both James and Peter in the New Testament reflect back on an Old Testament proverb saying, God opposes the proud, do you know what, but gives grace to the humble. Some of us want God to make us powerful, but we don't want God to make us humble. But why would God ever trust power to an arrogant person? Pride limits our thinking. Thankfully, God has given us the antidote to pride. We just heard it from the verse. The antidote to pride is humility. Humility is the antidote to pride. We get to choose, are we going to be humble or are we going to be prideful? Are we going to be arrogant or are we going to allow ourselves to become lowly? Pride and humility are not thrust upon us. Those are choices that we make, choices that we make in the moment, Choices that we make over time that help inform our character, and especially the choices that we make when we don't feel like it, right? When we feel the opposite, but we make the right, we make the better choice. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Is that how you live your life? Do an audit right now. Are you a person that is led by, characterized by pride, arrogance, position, or by humility? 
I'm reading a book right now with some of the staff. It's called Be the Unicorn. Weird title, but it's uh, from author and CEO of one of the world's top executive search firms. And in the book, he outlines 12 data-driven habits to separate the best leaders from the rest. And he talks about the authentic, he talks about the agile, the self-aware, the productive. But what I'm finding interesting is that there is an underlying characteristic for all 12 of these traits. Humility is not one of the 12, but humility undergirds trait one and trait two and trait three and four and five and six and seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. All 12 of these traits have humility at the core. You see, humility is the secret sauce, not only for business, but also for godliness. If you want to be more like Jesus, I would encourage you, first and foremost, not to work on being a better leader. First and foremost, not to work on being a, you know, a, a better teacher. Uh, first and foremost, not to uh, be a, a generous person. All of those things are good, and maybe you should work on those. But first and foremost, if you want to be like Jesus, work on your humility. Are you driven by pride or humility? And it can be difficult to self-assess and to distinguish between the two. So I'm going to give you a list of, of statements, and it might be helpful to ask these statements to your close friend or family member that's going to be honest with you, that can help you process these statements to determine whether or not pride is negatively impacting your testimony. I've got four things for you right now. When you tell a story you're always the hero. Even if it is about you getting hurt or failing or losing, you still come, you still somehow come out as the winner. Is that indicative of you don't have to raise your hand? I'll go to number two. You don't lose political, religious, or social media arguments. You may not always prove your point, but you definitely know when people are wrong. Number three, it can be difficult to see others succeed in areas that you care about. I'll start this one over. I think this one could be true for some of us. It can be difficult to see others succeed in areas that you care about. And you become critical of people who surpass you in some way. I've got one more. I wonder what they think of me. If that's a question that you ask yourself often, I've discovered that self-loathing can also be a source of pride. Because after all, isn't it your eyes are turned entirely on yourself? Like you are the center of your universe. If you spend every moment thinking about yourself, even if it's negative thoughts, that also too might be pride. The good news is we all struggle with this to some degree. The bad news is we all struggle with this to some degree. So be honest with yourself today. Is pride one of your mind killers? The second mind killer that we find in Gideon's story is fear. Fear limits our thinking. Fear is the second mind killer. Fear limits our thinking. Let's return to Gideon's story, see where he is at now. Verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Listen to this. Then 
22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. Poor Gideon, right? He started with 32,000, this brave, fierce military leader, and now he just lost, in, the, in, in, in just a moment, lost two-thirds of his fighting force, and the battle hasn't even begun. He's down to 10,000 remaining fighters. And why did God send 22,000 people home? Fear. Those that are fearful and those that are trembling. Some of you might not even recognize it. But along the way, God sometimes gives you an invitation to live a lesser life and to turn back if you are afraid. To go home. And you find yourself frustrated when you see other people pushing ahead, not realizing that you're the one that opted out. You're the one that disqualified yourself because you were fearful. I've heard it said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. Why? Because fear will pollute your mind, fear will dull your senses, and actually cause you to perform at a lower level than you are capable of. On the other hand, if you believe in yourself, if you've got encouragement from friends, people that love you and build you up, then you are able to perform at your maximum potential. Are you living a life dominated by fear? Fear of failure? Fear of what the future might hold? Fear of sickness or fear of death? Fear of embarrassing yourself? Fear of disappointing others? If so, I've got the antidote for you. It's easier to say than to live out, and it's not going to come as a surprise, but faith is the antidote to fear. If you are a fearful person, don't build up your bravery, don't build up your courage, build up your faith. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk, it's one of my favorite psalms, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The reason that the psalmist fears no evil is not because there is no evil. It's not because the valley is not dark. It's not because the valley is filled with, aligned with roses and flowers. The, The reason the psalmist does not fear the darkness of the valley is because God is there in the valley. God is there in your valley. You do not have to ignore the difficulties and the stresses of life. But faith is confidently looking at the valley, not ignorant of the danger ahead, but trusting that God is with you every single step of the way. Is fear one of your mind killers? I've gathered another list for you to to process through with a family member or friend to determine if fear is something that drives and plagues plagues your own walk with God. Here's four statements. Number one, you always seem to have a reason not to fully commit to a relationship or to really lean in at work or finally do the thing that you love. Is that you? Statement two, fear of failure or speaking, travel, water, heights, bugs, animals, sickness, or pain 
keep you from pursuing the type of life that you want to live. Statement three, you find yourself moving on from others so they don't move on from you. Or the opposite is true, and maybe you've heard from others that you can be a bit too clingy. You don't want to lose the relationship or the friends in your life. I've got one more. Fear can actually become physical for you. To the extent that it's taking a toll on your well-being, on your mental health, on your physical health, or how you function. Some of you might not need to process these things with a friend or a family member because you know this is you. Is fear impacting the way that you think and the way that you live? John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote that perfect love casts out all fear. It is daily walking with God, identifying the causes of fear in your life, Refusing to dwell on those things and instead bringing those things to the feet of your heavenly father and trusting that he is in control and even in the valley, he is there with you. That is how step by step over time, you're able to eliminate and eradicate fear from your life and place your faith and trust in the one that is capable the one, that is, the one that is not taken by surprise, the things that you're dealing with in life, but that loves you, cares for you, wants the best for you, and is willing to come alongside of you in the valley and walk through it with you. Choose faith over fear. Pride limits our thinking, but humility dismantles pride. Fear limits our thinking, but faith overcomes fear. There's one final mind killer that we find in our text. And it's the last one that I want to share with you today. Poor choices limit our thinking. And understand the phrasing here, poor choices. It's not bad choices. It's not even evil choices. Poor choices. We'll circle back around to that. I want us to read a significant portion here in Gideon's story. And if it wasn't already interesting enough, what happens next is truly baffling. Starting in verse four, the Lord then said to Gideon, the people are still too many. So take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. I'm sure Gideon was like, thank you. God continues, anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. Verse five. And so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Do you ever read the Bible and stop and say, what? <laughs> if you don't, you're not reading it correctly, right? You're just trying to get some theological thing. There's a lot of weird things in the Bible, and God makes some choices that we wouldn't naturally make. 
What, like, why doesn't God separate the, the two people by like their uh, love for him or their kindness towards one another? All the kind people over here, all the meanies go over there. Uh, I don't know which one you'd want for battle, but God could decide that, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't separate them by their faith or by their love or, or by any of those other metrics that you and I might select and choose. That's not what God does. He separates the people based on how they drink the water. And in verse six, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man, to his home. The choice to kneel down and drink the water straight from the source wasn't an evil choice. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. You know, that, that, that's not something that was disrespectful to Gideon or to God. It just wasn't the best choice for the moment. We don't really know why God chose that action as the dividing line. It doesn't say explicitly in Scripture. Some biblical scholars say that those who knelt down to drink had their eyes downcast, looking only at what they needed, what they desperately thirst for, and focused only on the water, while those who dipped their hands in the water and brought it up to their mouth to lap like a dog kept their eyes up forward so that they could be aware of their surroundings. Because after all, they were about to go into war. This might be the reason, it might not be, it preaches really good. But either way, God saw it fit to send 9,700 people, able-bodied fighters home for that decision, keeping only 300 behind. How many times have we been sent home because of the poor choices that we make? They might not have been bad choices. You might not have been making evil choices. You just might not have been making the best choice for the moment. I think we often have a way of removing the human element from Bible stories that we read. I think of David, right? In the Old Testament, David, he had a giant problem, literally. Had a giant problem, Goliath, the, the massive champion of Gath was threatening the Israelites and no one in the army would face him. They were afraid. They tried to actually get David to solve the problem the same way they were all solving the problem. And so the king put on armor and mail, gave him a sword and a shield and told him to go out and fight the giant. David, in a moment of innovation and, and, and brilliance, decided that he wouldn't, if he tried to solve the problem the same way that everyone else was trying to say solve the problem, that he would get the same results that everyone else was getting. And that was not a good or positive result for their military. So he decided instead to take off the armor, to put down the sword and shield, to walk to the water and to pick up five smooth stones. And the moment David decided to use a slingshot instead of, of a sword, 
is insight into the mind of a man that God chose to do something truly legendary. Everyone knows the story today. Because David, in that moment, decided to do things differently. Life Church, it is important to have faith. You and I need faith. It is essential to have courage. It is critical that you and I have character, but God is also trying to shape the way that you think. Do you find yourself stuck in a cycle of making poor choice after poor choice after poor choice? Here's some biblical advice from you. Again, from the Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And then Proverbs 19, 8. The one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. At the sake of sounding obvious, the best way to counteract poor decisions in your life is to seek and to gain wisdom. How do you do that? There's many different ways. I would encourage you, start with the Bible. Read the Bible, right? We're at the beginning of a new year. You can all make a new decision that this year you're going to read more Bible or read the Bible in its entirety. Some of you, I hope not, but I would imagine some of you have already started with daily Bible reading in January. And here we are mid-January, and I know you've probably fallen off. Pick it back up. And, and, and if you don't want to start at the beginning, start with, there's a whole section there called wisdom literature. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, wisdom literature. Get wisdom from the wisdom literature. And then, hey, jump forward. Go to the New Testament. See what Jesus is doing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at how Jesus is living his life and what he's doing and what he's teaching. Very popular phrase back in the 90s, WWJD. Right? Some of you have said it before. You know what it stands for, right? What would Jesus do? Some of you were cool enough to have the bracelet. Anyone have the bracelet now, right? Uh, WWJD. It's a good sentiment. The problem is you're not Jesus and you're not living in the Middle East in 30 AD, right? You're not Jesus. And so you're not going to always make the same decisions that Jesus would have made. A better question might be WWJHMD. It's not as catchy, but what would Jesus have me do? I don't know if it would fit on a bracelet. But that's a good question to ask. If you're seeking wisdom, if you're wanting to live out wisdom, WWJHMD, what would Jesus have me do? It's a good question to ask of yourself. So who do you want to be? Decide what kind of person you want to become. No one can choose for you. Decide who you want to be and then make the choices that will move you to becoming that person. And here's the good news that I want to leave you with today. You already are that person on the inside. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a new creation. God has transformed your soul and you already are that person you were fighting to become. So allow God, the same God that reshaped your soul, to also reshape the matrix of your mind. And we as believers have a distinct advantage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we 
have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That is the theme verse for today. That is the theme verse for this entire series. Hey, it could even be the theme verse for your life. We have the mind of Christ. Personalize that. I have the mind of Christ. In fact, I want you to say that. I I, I bet you've never said that in your life. Let's say that together. I have the mind of Christ. Imagine if you believe that were true. I have the mind of Christ. Some of you are trapped in a matrix of your own making. You believe that you are your trauma. You have the power to choose. You have the power to overcome your pain. You can rise above your trauma. You are not trapped in who you were. You are not even trapped in who you currently are. You have the mind of Christ. And when you realize this impregnable truth, nothing can stop you from becoming all that God has created you to be and from doing all that God has purposed you to do because we have the mind of Christ. And let me tell you the end of Gideon's story. With 300 men stripped of their pride, stripped of their fear, making the right choice in the right moment, God used those 300 measly men to win a battle. From 32,000 to 300. Do you want to be among the 32,000 that God sent home? Or do you want to be among the 300 that God used to do the unimaginable? It all begins by allowing our minds to be transformed by God. Let's bow our heads around this room. I want to pray for you, but I, I first want to begin by praying for those that do not yet have a relationship with God. If on a negative five degree morning, you made it to church today without a real relationship with God, that is not by accident. Transformation of the mind begins with transformation of the soul. And so I wanna know if I can pray for anyone this morning that needs to, in this moment, make a decision for Christ to say, I I, I don't only wanna give my mind to the Lord, I wanna give my heart and my soul to God today there's anyone today that needs to make that decision for the first time or recommit to making a decision for Christ today today with heads bowed and eyes closed around the room would you just lift up your hand so I can see you and I can know to pray for you today I see you in the back yes sir I see you right there in the middle yeah over here I see you yes ma'am see you sir is there anyone else that would join these these 300 fighters today to say, I want to make that decision for Christ today in this moment. I want to give you one more chance right now. Yes, sir, I see you. God, I pray for those that today and in this moment are making that bold decision to give their life to you, to submit their life to you, to allow their souls to be transformed from the inside out. God, you have already brought salvation to their house today and we rejoice with the angels in heaven. 
Now, we believe that we are saved by faith alone, but live our lives based on the decisions we make. So I want to know if there are people in this room today that I can pray specifically, that that we can pray together that God would transform your thinking, that your mind, maybe your thinking is paralyzed by pride or fear or the poor choices that you are making. Maybe it's another thing altogether. If that's you today and that we can pray together in agreement and by faith you're saying, hey, pray for me and I believe that God is healing and transforming my mind to the likeness of Christ. If I can pray for you today, would you raise your hand if you want to say, transform my mind, God, today. Just, yeah, hands all around the room today. Transform my mind. I want the mind of Christ today. Is there anyone else? Amen. God, we pray that you would transform our minds, that you would erase our pride, eradicate our fear, and help us to seek and find and live out wisdom to make the right choices in the moment. God, I pray that you would have a total transformation of our minds. Not by our power, but by the power of Jesus Christ. We have the minds of Christ. Transform us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.